This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call Highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time and educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Brian Adams. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Yeah, thank you for having me. This will be fun. Brian is a president and founder of Excelsior Capital, where he spearheads the investor relations and capital markets arm of the firm. He has 10 years of experience in real estate private equity. And prior to forming Excelsior Capital, Brian co-founded Prime Properties, an institutional real estate private equity sponsor in 2010 and provided leadership and direction for the firm in connection with capital markets, investment management, and investor relations. For us to dive into just, you know, your your secret sauce on raising capital and just how you developed that over the years. You've gotten into the business and you've made lots of connections, no doubt. But, you know, what was, you know, walk us through that a little bit, maybe early on, you know, your ability to raise capital and how you grew that to where you're at now. Right. So this is going to sound cavalier and it's probably going to come across as obnoxious, but honestly, the secret sauce to, to raising capital is to actually listen to your logical investor base, right? So I'm not talking about the Saudi Arabian pension fund, right? Because that's not a realistic investor for you, or it's not for me. Probably isn't for a lot of folks listening to the show. If you write down 50 to 100 people that will realistically take a meeting, they will realistically give their resources, time and money to you in return for your product offering and you actually listen to what they want. Don't just cram down what you think is a cool idea or a cool investment or a great deal. Because if you have a best deal in the world in your mind, and you think it's terrific, but unless you can raise capital to acquire it, it's just art. And art's wonderful, but art is not a business, right? So if you want a business, you need to have a product offering and a service that people are willing to give up their resources for. And so about halfway through my journey of trying to cram down product into my investor base of what I thought was cool or interesting, I actually did kind of a mini roadshow and I sat down and listened to what my investor base wanted. And I realized they really wanted three things, capital preservation, access to real assets, yield. They wanted income generation and they wanted to really push the tax benefits that come with direct real estate ownership through their K-1 as a taxable investor. And once I pivoted my product offering and my investment thesis to satisfy those three things, that's really when I started to raise you know, much more efficient capital. Capital preservation, yield, and tax benefits. Did I get that right? That's right. Nice. A lot of entrepreneurs and people who want to get in the business talk about IRR and multiple and all these other things that are great. But frankly, you know, in my experience, even sophisticated family offices, they don't care. So just give people what they want. And would they be in that order? I would imagine probably <laughs> so. I mean, capital preservation yeah, is... I'd say certainly in today's environment where the stock market has extreme volatility, it seems like it's extremely expensive right now. Yields on bonds or fixed income or corporate debt are terrible, but taxes you know, are a real issue. And even though it doesn't seem like it on the CPI level, inflation is real, right? Anybody who pays tuition 
or is buying a home feels that inflation coming. And so it's really, I think, a way to put some money to work outside of the public equity market, but also to get something in that, I think realistically, six to seven to eight percent cash on cash yield, that current income, so they can pay for their lifestyle, they can maintain their quality of life, and or maybe be opportunistic with some other type of investments. But but cash is king. And I think especially an inflation hedged product will do very well over the next cycle. And that's where, you know, investors that I talk to on every day, you know, the stock market's scary. And municipal bonds or whatever kind of fixed income their financial advisor wants to put them in, the yields are awful, right? So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to lock up your capital for that. So I think you just need to to listen to, you know, what the needs are from your investor base and deliver on them. And once you start doing that and giving them that experience, it's much easier to raise more capital from your existing investors than it is to go out there and make a brand new relationship, right? That takes time. And especially in a COVID area where we can't necessarily meet with people in person, it's just, this is much more powerful in my opinion. So you mentioned like delivering on those things. So ultimately listening to what they want and then delivering on what they're requesting, what's most important to them. And, and what you found was capital preservation, yield, tax benefits. You mentioned like pivoting, changing your messaging. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What was your way that you got that message out? You know, was it pamphlets? Was it just the way you spoke to people? Was it a little bit of everything? Could you elaborate? Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of people, especially in our business, when I meet young entrepreneurs or people that want to be a sponsor or syndicate capital, they always, lots of them will try to third party the capital raise or they'll say, oh, when I raise a little bit more capital or have some more you know, revenue coming in and income generation, I'll hire a chief marketing officer I'll, or I'll bring in a third party to do the capital raise. Wrong, 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 wrong. If you as the principal and sponsor are not the chief sales officer and the chief marketing officer, you will fail. This is exceedingly capital intensive business. So unless you feel comfortable getting 100 no's a day and making up 200 asks, it's not going to work. You cannot offload that. No one will have the passion or the drive that you have and no one will understand the story the same way that you do. And so I think that's a really big mistake that people make. In terms of how to present it, you know, oftentimes when people do the pitch, you know, kind of like you did, you teed me up and I gave you my background. Honestly, no one really cares, right? No one cares that I'm from New York. No one cares that I went to a liberal arts college in Connecticut. Nobody cares that my wife's from Nashville. I mean, not really if you ask them. What they care about is how can you address their needs? How can you help solve their problems and allay their fears? And so once you understand what their fears are and what their needs are, just come out off the, out of the box and tell them what you do and how you can address those problems. And I think your pitches will go much smoother. What's been the hardest part of your uh, just journey in this, in this business of real estate and syndication? Yeah. I mean, once I realized an efficient way to raise capital, we became deal guys, right? Which is, oh, we found these great opportunities. We're going to do these deals. We're going to close them. And we did. We acquired a lot of, of real estate in a short period of time for, for our, in our world. And I made a huge amount of mistakes because instead of leading with what I should have been, which is investor relations, business development, communication, we just focused on doing the deals and all that stuff got pushed to the back burner. And it was a huge mistake because it really alienated a lot of my investor base. 
And so what I did starting two years ago, I scrapped everything, went down to the bare bones. I hired an internal controller who's a CPA with a public accounting tax background because tax is huge for investors who are taxable investors. I got Juniper Square, which is, you know, a great investor relations, CRM, 365, 24-7 um, investor portal, which is just terrific and does all kinds of great things. And I started leading with, hey, we're going to be best in class for investor relations, communications. We're going to go over the top and provide you with all this information and accessibility. And now out of 450 some odd investors, you know, I rarely get a phone call because it's all right there for them. And we're getting way out in front of anything, which I should have been doing early in my career. But frankly, I think making those mistakes and having that painful period of my life as a manager ultimately makes me a much better sponsor. And so I'm, I'm not happy it happened, but I do think it was a necessary pain point for me to be where I am today. Nice. Well, and I wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, I know we briefly mentioned it earlier. Two hundred fifty million in four years. I mean, most people listening would would dream of you know being able to scale that fast. Can you elaborate any more on just the mistakes made uh, when you're scaling that fast, or things you would have done differently? Uh, I mean, anything at all that you know the listener or, or even myself can can just take from that. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a bit cliche, but just because you can do a deal doesn't mean you should, right? And ultimately. Just because you can make acquisitions and raise that capital, you've got to understand that there are two distinct parts of our business. There's the deals themselves, right? There's the acquisitions, there's the underwriting, there's the diligence, there's making a good investment based on the thesis that you have. But there's this whole other component of the actual business that you're running, which is you know, the vehicle that enables you to make those investments. And for a long time, I didn't really spend that much time or effort on the business side of it because you are essentially, you have to understand, if you're an investor, you're taking a risk that this sponsor knows what they're doing in the real estate world, right? But especially as a younger sponsor or a, a newer sponsor, that investor is also taking a risk on you as a small business owner. And I think what's important to understand is investors who've been doing this for a while, they understand they're taking a risk on the deal, right? I mean, mm -hmm. COVID happens, 9-11 happens, 08 happens. These things happen. It's a big boy game. That's why accredited investors are accredited. But what you need to focus on, in my opinion, is taking care of everything else on the small business side and de-risking the small business component. And it takes money, right? It takes energy and effort to have that kind of system in place for the enterprise level. So I think it's really important to understand that you need to have all these things, investor relations, a really good portal, a really good in-house controller, accountant, really good asset management, you know, a decent office where you can actually do the work. Those things are all separate from the deals, but they're just as important. And frankly, it's probably more important. I'm grateful for you hammering that home because, yeah, if you don't have the business side, if you don't have the investor relations component alone, the property doesn't mean anything, does it? And maybe you should just be an allocator, right? Maybe you should just, you know, really focus on underwriting GPs and sponsors and you have your own relationships and you come to me and you say, hey, I like what you're doing. Let's have a relationship on a business level. That's fine. But I've got 12 employees, 
right? So that's a legitimate HR issue. I've got to worry about all these other things that have nothing to do with office buildings. But from the investor side, that's how they experience it every day, right? And so even if it's the best deal in the world, unless you're transparent and communicative and addressing the actual needs of those investors, it doesn't really matter. How did you develop the business side? I know, you know you've talked about how important that is, and I couldn't agree more. I know that's been a, a growing point and a struggle for me personally as well. Uh, you know, I can raise a lot of capital now, you know, work with lot, hundreds of investors, you know, and we've done that in a short period of time, I feel like, and, and try to do it the best that we possibly can. But then, just like you said, when you're talking about, okay, we're, we need to hire somebody for this, we need to hire somebody for that, well, you know, I had to go back and think, well, okay. You know, what should that job description be? What should the, you know, these things, you know, be for this person or what, you know, and that, those are things you, you know, you didn't realize maybe five years ago you were going to have to deal with, right? And so how did you learn to operate that business and put those things in place? Uh, just by making huge mistakes and screwing it up initially <laughs> and then talking to sponsors and GPs that are 20 years older than me and asking for as much free yeah. advice as they're willing to give me and being unabashed about it calling up a sponsor who I know has done really well, track record, grow to great company saying, and don't just ping them and say, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. I want free advice because you seem to be doing a really good job and I want to copy everything that you've been doing so they don't step in the same pothole again. Right. And that's part of this community, which is really cool. Not every sponsor is going to respond or GP is going to respond, but the ones that do, they're just a gold mine. Because they've made all these mistakes too. You know, I think oftentimes we look at them as, oh, they've achieved this greatness and they've, they're perfect, and they're terrific. Never the case, right? They've all been on this hero's journey of chapter one is this great idea. They do this thing and it's wonderful. Chapter two, they have failure. And chapter three is the redemption, right? That's what we all like to see. So if you can find folks in chapter three that are willing to be honest about what chapter two looked like for them, it's so much more valuable to understand what not to do than it is what to do. Because I think we all have a sense of what we should be doing and what would look great. But really avoiding the pitfalls is what's going to prevent you from having catastrophic failure in your business. Are you tired of paying too much in taxes or want to recession-proof your investment portfolio? Whether you're looking for a passive investment income or want to see what joining a syndication team is all about, then you don't want to miss Think Multifamily's annual FIRE Summit Conference, November the 11th and 12th. I'm going to tell you how to save $100, and that's by using promo code WHITNEY100 when you go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash FIRE. Again, that's WHITNEY100. Did you know that multifamily is one of the most recession-resistant strategies to create long-term equity, cash flow, and build wealth through real estate and can save you big on your taxes? You probably have heard that, but I want you to learn from somebody just like Think Multifamily. They have over 25 years of experience, over 100 apartment syndications, 16,000 units in 13 states, over a billion dollars in assets under management. Think Multifamily has the experience you can trust to grow your real estate portfolio and avoid the pitfalls many investors and syndicators fall into. Think Multifamily believes you don't have to sacrifice your values to be successful. Integrity, transparency, servant leadership, and family values are what you will see and feel when you attend the Think Multifamily event. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash fire for more information and register today. Enter promo code Whitney100 to save $100. Our guest 
is Michael Episcope. Thanks for being on the show, Michael. Thank you, Whitney, for having me. Appreciate it. Michael, there's so many things there I'd like to cover and or like to ask you about. And, you know, a few things specifically, you know, you mentioned in the last four and a half months, over $100 million has come into your fund. And that, you know, that doesn't happen overnight, right? That happens over a long track record in history. Obviously, you mentioned what 1,600 investment partners or investors. And congratulations to you because I, I know the work that goes in behind just building those relationships and and that level of trust, you know, with that many people and investors. And so I wanted to you to just speak to that a little bit, you know, maybe some marketing tactics or maybe ways that you're building those relationships. I'd love to get into the fund a little bit, you know, as well eventually, but I'd love for you to highlight just maybe some of the marketing tactics. I know many of the listeners right now are they're trying to grow their investor base, obviously, or they're trying to present themselves right as this credible company. And, you know, so investors are attracted to them and trust them, build that level of trust, all those things that we're all trying to do. But what are some tactics that you have seen that have been crucial for you all to be able to accomplish something like that? A hundred million in four and a half months is, is no easy feat. No, no. And, and that's not a normal four and a half months. And there were a lot of, you know, stars that sort of aligned up. But I'll take you back. And it, this really goes back to, 2015, when my partner and I just had this sort of aha moment and it came and it was only as a result of the Jobs Act that this is possible to actually market what we had. And if you have a great product and you put it in front of enough people, it's very simple to believe that they're going to buy it. And and that was kind of our thesis in the beginning. And prior to that, the marketing department was me and my partner. And we would go out there and meet with individuals and have lunches and do things like they were doing for 80 years. And we're like, there has to be another way to do this. So we really rebranded the company. So we used to be called Origin Capital and we wanted to make it more investor focused. So now we're at Origin Investments today. We rebranded our website as well, because that's sort of of our front doorstep. We hired our first marketing director at that time. And then what we also did, and, and this is a point that I think a lot of, even today, a lot of firms miss on is we, we started to build our investor relations department and the, the customer service side of that to make sure that any of our investors, if they have questions when they're onboarding, when they're an investor with us, they can get their questions answered. People will get back to them usually within a few hours, but absolutely within 24 hours. And, and that was really important to us to make sure that that leg of the stool, you know, you, you can't just hit on you know, risk and returns, but it's also that side of the equation. And so that's how we've built a lot of goodwill. And in any environment, just being responsive to people when they email you, getting back to them and the simple things really, really matter. Because if you don't get back to people for two or three or four days, it's really indicative of how you run the rest of your business. So I'm proud of the team that we built today. We have seven people. We have one person starting next week with seven person people in our investor relations department to handle you know, just everything we need from onboarding people to servicing our existing investors, sending out reporting on time in a way that makes sense. And so that's what we, you know, I mean, fundamentally share, you know, my partner and I, because we've invested passively in private equity and real estate. And we've seen, you know, how frustrating that can be without a good IR department. The other side of that is the marketing department as well. And the marketing department, we have five people dedicated in that department. And the overall arching theme of the marketing department is to create content for our audience to educate them on this subject. And you will hear this come up over and over, but the number one thing that you need with content is authenticity. There is a time to promote your funds. There is a time to do things, but you have to try at all times to be a neutral party 
and be authentic and not, you know, be writing about something and then all of a sudden promote your fund within there, do something. And so those are some of the things that people really fundamentally, they look for authenticity with anybody who they're investing with. And, and all too often you get, you know, these individuals who are on Instagram and doing this and showing on their, you know, I mean, it, it just kind of, you know, I don't want to go there, but too many individuals who are pumping themselves up and have egos and things like that. And you have to cut through all that. So, so for us, it's been a long road. And by the way, this does not happen overnight. Building right. trust with investors takes a long, long, long time. And it can, you can erode it overnight. So everything we do, especially when you are in a public forum, that if we're not always on our game and always improving and we are doing something out there that is creating ill will that can just go viral within our community and shut us down. So, so we're very vigilant about that and cognizant about, you know, all the pieces of content, the way we behave, the products, how we market, and just making sure that there's a consistency and a continuity, but it's not inexpensive. I mean, again, you know, I just named, you know, we have more than 12 people dedicated to marketing and investor relations to both educate investors and then, service them on that side and make sure that all their needs are being met. Wow. So, I mean, that alone shows the importance of investor communications. I mean, just investor relations, marketing, all those things. I mean, you have 12 people dedicated to that. You know, is there some specific things that you could mention that have helped build that trust though? I know it doesn't happen overnight, but what's been a couple key things that's, you know what, we did this and, and this just really showed investors that we cared about them, or this really helped build the trust. I know the authenticity, which is so important. I couldn't agree more. You know, how did you present that or what's a couple techniques potentially that have worked well for you all? So if I'm looking at one tactic, it's so hard to point to it. You can't just have one thing that you do that's great. I will say this, that my partner and I, even getting in front of people, we have monthly webinars where we have an open forum and we go out and and we let everybody know about the performance of the fund. We don't sugarcoat anything. We open it up in a dialogue where people can email in their questions. And I think, you know, one word that you won't find on our website anywhere is transparency and you won't find honesty. And those things are so cliche. You have to show those things and what you do. So if you go out there and you go and research, you know, 100 of these investment firms, you'll find those plastered all over the website. And we said, look, don't put any of those on. We're about showing, not telling. And so when we're doing webinars and people are emailing their questions in and we're answering them live or we get in front of our investors and, you know, in our annual events, those are opportunities for us to just be open and honest and authentic and transparent about everything we do and owning, you know, what part, what things we've done right, what things we've done wrong, how we're getting better, how we're growing the firm. And and it's really almost this cycle of accountability because when you put yourself out there, you know that you're going to continue to put yourself out there and you're telling investors that you're going to do X and Y and Z and you're making certain promises for lack of a better word. And you want to hold yourself to those because we're an organization that really, you know, we believe that you do what you say you're going to, and it's as simple as that. But I wish I had one thing for you, but I think it's the ability for us to be available. And it's the way the, the quality of our team who we've hired. So even in our investor relations department, Everybody who we hire has a real estate background, but on top of that, we put them through a very rigorous training program. And so when they call up and they're asking questions, there would be no difference between somebody talking to me 
and me answering the questions and, and somebody in our investor relations department answering those questions. And that professionalism extends to our asset management group. It extends to our acquisition group. And we're constantly, you know, just trying to let people know how we operate because there's cost, right? What are you paying for? And then there's value, right? So what is the value of the fees that you're paying and how much are you willing to pay for that service for that? And it's really about the quality of that team and over and over, but trust is one of those things that that's hard to build and it's easy, you know, to lose it in a quick, so it's, it happens over a long period of time doing different things. And, you know, I'll just go back to this hundred million dollars that we raised over in the four and a half months. Cause there were a few things that sort of, when I said the stars lined up and one of them was the end of the year. And so there are some tax dates with QOZ, but number one, we were in, we were actually floating our unit price at the, you know, um, fourth quarter of last year. So there was a rush to get in before we floated it. And then in March of this year, this was March 31st was the deadline by which you could put 2019 capital gains to work. So those two deadlines, deadlines are always important when you're raising money that people, you know, like have a reason to actually invest. You know, we don't use deadlines, though, or a sense of urgency as a way to get people to act quickly without doing their due diligence. So these are things that we're communicating well in advance. And I'll say one of the challenges I see today, because there are tactics out there that work no matter what market you're in, you know, a sense of scarcity and a sense of urgency. And people always act on those. However, when you're in an investment market, that's not what you want to be doing as an investor. You don't want to be making a split second decision and investing. And so some of these platforms out there, what they're doing is they're setting you up on a webinar where they you get to listen for 30 minutes and then you have you know two minutes to decide whether you not want to invest. It's great for the platform, but not for the investor. And we really fundamentally believe like there is not like out of the 1600 investment partners, we are not a click to invest firm. We want our investment partners to ask a hundred questions and know exactly what they are getting into because everything is about expectations. And, and even if you, if you deliver here, but their expectations were here, you have disappointed them. Right. And we don't want people learning after the fact, Oh, I should have asked that. I should have asked that, but give them plenty of time. So that's a long winded way of saying there's no shortcut. It's a lot of things that you have to do between setting up a phenomenal team, delivering on your track record, being available to them and just showing consistent service and performance. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 